celebrations. Actually, no, let's, let's uh, do our, our memory verse. Oh, and some more words are missing, but that's the point of a memory verse, right? All right, so uh, let's start. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. 1, 4 and 5. Sorry, 1, 4 and 5. All right. By the end of this, we're going to know that verse. Uh, this morning, we are looking at verses uh, 13 and eight through 18 of chapter 4. The encouragement of hope is what we are looking at this morning. Now, a couple of uh, celebrations, or one celebration this week, want to tell you about uh, on Monday or Tuesday, I'm not sure which, uh, we got a phone call in the office from a lady that needed some help, had some limbs down in her yard uh, that, that had fallen just over time, you know how it happens once they're broken and, and gravity takes over after a while, and uh, they couldn't do it. She asked if we had some folks that could come out and cut those limbs up and move them to the uh, street for her so the city could pick them up. So I texted Lee Bird and said, hey, this is something you can get done uh, this week. Can you organize this? And he said, what's her name and number? And gave it to her. That was the last I heard about it. Until Friday, I got a text that said, uh, that was thanking uh, now, Lee, you'll have to correct me. Uh, uh, there were four men in the text, so I'm going to assume that's all that went, but I'm, I'm going to, actually they, well, they might not want their names out there. I'm just going to say four men went to her house. They cleaned up the yard, uh, according to her, went over and above what they had asked for, and that is our church being the hands and feet of Jesus. So, that's a celebration. It's a small thing. That, yeah, clap for it. That's great. It, it, for us, it's a small thing. Most of us didn't even know that was happening. But for that couple, that meant the world that day. And that's what we do. Small obediences. And that was just a small obedience in our minds, in our lives even, that did something great for somebody all in the name of Jesus. So that's what we are uh, celebrating this week. We're also celebrating Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He knew what was coming, they didn't. They were expecting something different than uh, what they got toward the end of this week. But nevertheless, the hosannas that they sang were accurate. They were welcoming the king into Jerusalem. We, uh, every week, should welcome the king into our presence and, and praise him as we have done this morning, worship him, and look forward to what he has promised. See, we, uh, most religions, share the potential of an afterlife. That's what we're talking about today, the, the, the afterlife. Uh, the, the, the fancy Greek word that your uh, connect group teacher may have used this morning was parousia, the end of time, the, the gathering together, or it may have told you to pronounce it parousia. Uh, that, that's a thing apparently too. I just always heard parousia. The gathering together of, of, of believers that's going to happen. Most religions share some potential of an afterlife. They, they have this idea, if they are a religion, that something happens 
in the end, for the most of them, uh, for the most part. Some, some don't. You just live good now and, and things end. Of course, atheism, just, you know, we're just dirt anyway, so it doesn't matter. But most religions share this idea of an afterlife. But only Christianity approaches the afterlife, approaches what happens after we die with confident expectation. Remember, that's the definition I have given you for five and a half years of hope. Hope is confident expectation, not wishing, but knowing. Paul writes that he wants them to know that they hope, that he wants them to know that they know, know that they have confident expectation. Now, over the years, and, and really for a long time, but just strongly in the last 150 years or so, this verse has been used to explain a lot about what happens at the end when Jesus comes back. And, and to do that, you've got to take what is said here and expand it greatly, far beyond anything Paul certainly intended when he wrote it. So we don't want to come this morning to this passage looking to prove a particular view of the parousia, the, the gathering together of believers, a, a particular view of the end times, because you won't find a lot about that here. You find a very generic statement about what's happening. That's not Paul's point. Paul's point is not to tell us what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. It's to tell us that Jesus is coming back and we can have hope because of it. So we want to uh, come to this passage this morning to find hope, not to find answers about the end. Not that Paul is in any way wrong in what he describes here. That just wasn't his point in his description. So we come to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring, him, uh, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He starts with hope. I want you to know this so that you have hope. And then ends with encourage each other with these words. Again, we don't come to this passage to understand all the details of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Because he doesn't say, we want you to hope and understand all the details that are going to take place when Jesus... No, no. We want you to hope and encourage each other. We'll see that as we, as we move through this. Paul makes uh, a number of points here. I, I felt like we could break this passage down into six points for us this morning. 
and how he uh, uh, explains what he's saying here. The first one is that knowledge is important. Now, I do say that Paul's not telling us this so we will know all the details of exactly what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But he does want us to have knowledge. He wants us to know things. Knowledge is important. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, unknowledgeable. We want you to be knowledgeable. It's important that we as believers know the things that Jesus wanted us to know. It's important that we don't concern ourselves with the things that Jesus doesn't want us to know. Now, we sometimes get that mixed up. We spend a lot of time discussing what's not in the Bible, trying to figure out what some things that are in the Bible mean. And that's not a fruitless conversation to have, but if that's our focus, then we're going to, we're going to miss the point. And that's what we don't want to do when we come to this passage. This passage, as far as knowledge is concerned, is a very small part about what's going to happen at the end. Paul basically just says, Jesus is going to come back. Now, they knew that. They knew Jesus was going to come back, and that's actually what spurred this, uh, this statement to them in the letter. It's something that Paul had not talked about before. It, throughout this letter, he says, I have no need to inform you that. And then he informs them. Well, the reason he doesn't have need to inform them is because he already told them. He talked about that when he was there. And now he's using this opportunity to either remind them what he already told them or expand on what he already told them. I don't need to tell you to love each other. You already do that. Love each other. Do it even more. Right? Well, here he doesn't say, I have no need to tell you. Instead, he says, I don't want you. We do not want you to be uninformed. This is something he didn't talk to them about. Something that has, uh, something he said, probably the fact that Jesus was coming back when he was there, spurred the question, what's going to happen now that people are dying? There was, there was an expectation, at least... If not, if it wasn't something he taught, which I don't believe it was, there was an inferred expectation that Jesus was going to come back before they died. Now, we don't have the idea necessarily that Paul thought that. Some of his phrasing could lean that direction. Even he thought Jesus would come back before he died. But then some of his other uh, uh, phrasing, especially in the later letters, he kind of realizes, of course, you know, there are a lot of folks dying here. And there, there are a lot of things happening. But I think even at this point, Stephen has been martyred. Uh, James has been martyred at this point, I believe. We've, we've got the, uh, the deaths of believers already. So I don't think Paul misunderstood it. But the church at Thessalonica did. Paul, all these people are dying. How, they're gonna, how, how are they going to go when Jesus comes? We, we had this idea, Jesus coming back while we were alive, he's going to call us up. What in the world is happening? And this likely got back to Paul because Timothy has gone to visit the church in Thessalonica. Timothy has come back and Paul's writing a letter. Timothy's saying, hey, they're asking this question. Well, let's, let's answer that one. Knowledge is important. Anytime we come to 
a decision in life. Anytime we come to a, uh, a time of wondering, a, a, a crossroads in life, well, we need to know our scripture. Ed and I were at a, a conference yesterday, and we had some good just general preaching, but we went to a breakout session with uh, Dr. Russell Moore, who is the, the former president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he talked about how, I've forgotten what he said, the, the map is not necessarily, the map is not the terrain. Uh, she, she's got her notes in there. Uh, meaning that just because we, we know some things, to lay those things on every situation, they don't always fit just right. What do I mean by that? We can have all the knowledge of theology, but if we don't know how to apply that knowledge to situations in life, we are going to struggle. All the knowledge in the world doesn't help you if we can't apply it correctly. So we don't want to just know things for the sake of knowing them. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but don't assume that's enough. Paul says, I want you to know this. I want you to have the knowledge. But I want you to have the knowledge so that you can apply it. Know it so you have hope. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, those who are dead, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Number two, grief is expected. Grief is expected. There are some that have taken what Paul is saying here completely out of context, misused it, and say Christians shouldn't mourn when loved ones die. Well, that's a bunch of mess. That period. There, there. I, I, I don't necessarily. Well, I don't mind using it at all. Marvel movies as as uh, as examples, but man, one of the best lines ever written in any show uh, was um, from WandaVision. Sorry, people who don't keep up with Marvel. Uh, when at the point of almost dying, one of the characters says. What is grief if not love persevering? And it was a, it's a great statement, and I think it's a very biblical statement, even for a Marvel movie. What is uh, grief if not love persevering? We grieve when we lose loved ones, and that is, that is good. That is love persevering. That is us expressing our, our pain. It's expressing the love that we had for the person that's gone. And if, if you want the ultimate example of grief, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. We all memorize that one. We memorize scripture. Jesus wept. But can you tell me where it was? The reference? It was Lazarus. No, the address. John. Yeah, see? Cheater. John 11. I don't remember. 11, 4, maybe? I don't, I don't remember the verse either. I don't know it either. I, I'm just telling you. Jesus wept. It's not the word that's used, but we could say Jesus grieved. Because even, even the people standing around him when he was crying said, look how much he loved Lazarus. 
uh, Martha sent the message, the one that you love so much is sick a few days before he died. Grief is expected. Grief is good. Grief is a part of uh, the process. Grief is an expression of the love that we had for someone. Paul is not saying to not grieve. Grief is expected. But what he is saying is that the grief that we have, the grief that we experience, is not the same as those with no expectation of an afterlife or no hope in an afterlife. The, the, The pagan religions around them have some idea of an afterlife, but it's all dependent on did they, in Egypt, did they mummify them the right way? Did they put enough gifts to get them through all the barriers the right way? Can you answer the questions right as you move through? There's still a huge process in death in order to experience a good afterlife. That's not Christianity. It's appointed to man to die once, and then the judgment. There's, there's no other opportunity after death, and we wouldn't want one. We, we have life, we have all the opportunity, and then there's no more opportunity. But, Paul is saying, to those of you who have made the decision to follow Christ, who have placed your faith and trust in Him for salvation, who have looked to the cross and believed That Jesus can save you from your sins. You have hope that death is actually, it's not the end, but it's the end of the struggle. You don't have to worry about eternity anymore. Well, the truth is, when you're alive, you don't have to worry about eternity if you are in Christ. Grieve. But don't grieve as those that have no expectation of afterlife. Or a view of the afterlife without the joy of Christ. See, he's going to say not just that we are raised, but that we are raised for a purpose, for a reason. We are raised to someone, but I don't want to get too far ahead. One, knowledge is important. Two, grief is expected. Three, belief is vital. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep. Belief is vital. He says if, but this isn't an if-if, it's a since-if. It's not an if that if you do it, it's an if that actually means since you do it. If you believe, and you have, that Jesus rose from the dead then in that case we can believe that he will raise us. Belief is vital. Paul will say elsewhere that if Christ isn't risen from the dead, we're just all a bunch of idiot morons. That's not how he put it. I'm I'm loosely paraphrasing the Greek. Actually what he says is we are to be pitied uh, 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 above all people because our faith is dependent on a resurrected Jesus. This Friday, this tenebrae service that we'll have, means nothing if Sunday morning didn't happen. I've said before, Christmas is pointless. Let's just 
well, let's not even do the gifts and stuff because we save money. Because there was no, it doesn't matter that some kid was born in Bethlehem if that kid wasn't fully God, fully man that grew up and was crucified and buried. That happened to a lot of people too. But Sunday morning, if Sunday morning doesn't happen, all this stuff's ridiculous. We'd just go about our merry way. I could be at home watching the Masters right now. If Jesus wasn't crucified, if Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't resurrected, but he was. And that belief is vital. You can believe Jesus existed. You can believe he was a good teacher. You can believe he was crucified. But if you do not believe in a literal resurrection, you're not a Christian. It just doesn't work because you are leaving out the very thing that makes us different from everybody else. The, the stumbling block is the resurrection. People can even, oh, Jesus died for other people. He died as an example of how to live. He died as an example of peaceful resistance. Oh, people can make all sorts of uh, uh, fun nice, warm and fuzzy examples of Jesus on the cross, but if we leave him dead, it's pointless. We are to be pitied among, above all people if Christ is not risen. Belief is vital. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Our presence, Paul says again elsewhere, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, the body, and then our soul goes to be with Jesus. What does that mean? We don't have a description of what's happening right now. We don't know what heaven, as we call it, but not what the Bible calls heaven, is right now. We know that believers who have died in the faith are with Jesus, but the whole heaven that we talk about, streets of gold and all that, ain't nobody walking on those streets of gold right now, because that's later. That's the new heaven and the new earth that the Revelation talks about. That's not right now. No pearly gate right now. They are pre- their, their soul is present with the Lord. Our, but our presence with him, our presence with Christ, immediately following death is, and these aren't good words, so don't, don't stone me as a heretic, but I just want you to get the image here. Our, our presence with Christ immediately following death is partial or incomplete. It's not like we are partly with Jesus, but our bodies don't go, right? Because we've been to funerals. The body's still there. So we know that there's something, and Paul talks about it here, there's something that's coming later. All right, so our presence with Christ is immediate, uh, is, is partial or incomplete, but is nonetheless real. We are upon death. The moment that the, the brain starts, uh, stops waving... And, 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 and the heart stops beating. And, and those are all things that can happen that we can bring back sometimes. But there's going to be a point. One of the other things we uh, were, were told this weekend that has kind of stuck with me is that every miracle is temporary. Lazarus died again. Uh, all all the, 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 the little girl Jesus brought back to life, she died again. 
The, the, the ones that, uh, that he healed of leprosy died of something else. Maybe it wasn't leprosy that killed them, but something did. Every, tempor- every miracle is temporary except the resurrection of Jesus. That was permanent. And because that was permanent, then we really go to be with the Lord when we die. But later, at some point, at the end, our bodies meet him. And we have to believe that. Why do we have to believe that? Why is belief in that vital? So we can have hope. Because grief is expected. Grief is real. But the belief that Jesus will raise us, will raise our dead loved ones who have died in Christ, is real is something that lets us get through the day and the week and the month after that loved one dies. And Paul does make some theological statements here, though he doesn't give us a lot of detail about what happens at the end. He does tell us about the why and with whom in this verse. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus... God will bring with him those with him those who have fallen asleep. We are raised because of Christ. In the same way through Jesus, that's the because. Through salvation, through our faith, because of our faith, because of the saving work on the cross. We will be raised. It is through Jesus that we are raised, but we will also be raised with him. God's doing all the work. God is the source of this, right? Says it, uh, God will bring, God's the, the, the author of it all. Jesus is how he does it. Because of Jesus and with Jesus, we will be raised. And it's interesting here that Paul uses all by itself the name Jesus. Because most of the time, Paul says, the Lord, when he's talking about Jesus. Or he will say, Christ Jesus, or the Lord Jesus. He does use the name Jesus a few times, but, but much, much fewer than he uses Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus, Lord Christ by themselves. Why? Paul is intentionally using Jesus' earthly name, Jesus. Because he wants the people to understand. He wants their focus to be on the earthly death and resurrection. The bodily death and resurrection. He could have said the second person of the Trinity. He could have said the Lord. When he uses Lord, he's using the same phrase that's used in the Greek Old Testament that Paul read to refer to Yahweh, he's making a theological statement there. He's saying that Jesus is God. And that's why he says the Lord in the New Testament when, he, uh, when it says the Lord in the Old Testament too. So he's making a theological point there. But then he says here, not the Lord rose from the grave... The Lord died and rose from the grave so that you might get a little confused and say, oh, well, the, oh, sure, the God did it somehow. No, no, he makes sure he, you understand that guy, 
the person, the body, the flesh, and the blood that was, that was torn from him and pierced and, and, and mangled in places, the one who got hungry and got thirsty and, and slept and woke up and did all the things humans do, the human Jesus, the man Jesus, the man like you and me, flesh and bone, died, just like all these other people you know, just like everybody throughout history, died. The man did. And the man rose from the grave. He's not dividing Jesus' divinity from his humanity. He's not doing anything heretical. He is making sure we understand that just like his body, his humanness died and rose, our body, our humanness will die and will rise. We get that picture of this earthly, fleshly uh, activity. No confusion, Paul says. We have to believe. Because if we believe that the human Jesus, God in the flesh, rose from the grave, he will also bring those humans in Christ back from the grave as well. Number four, this encouragement of hope that, that Paul is giving us is uh, that the reunion is certain. Verse 15, for we say this to you by a word from the Lord. There's that, the Lord that I was talking about. Now he has gone from Jesus, Jesus the human part of him, the, the, the focus on his humanity to the Lord, the same as Yahweh, the same as God, the, the one who speaks with the authority of the creator of all things. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So he uses this Jesus is Lord. Jesus said this. Now, what's interesting about that statement is we have no recorded uh, statement like this from Jesus. Certainly not the, to this degree. He makes some statements about what will happen at the end, but not, not this detailed. So, we have one of two things here. Either it is one of the statements of Jesus that, uh, like John says, if everything Jesus, at the end of the book of John, he says, if everything that Jesus had done and said uh, were written, all the books in the world couldn't hold them. So it's one of those oral traditions of what Jesus said, or it's one of those things that Jesus taught Paul directly. Uh, when he was spending time in, in the desert, when Paul was spending the time in the desert after his conversion. Either way, Paul is clear that this is Jesus' words to him about what is going to happen. Of course, we as, 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 as Southern Baptists, as, as evangelicals, have no problem with that because we believe all of these words are Jesus' very words through the Holy Spirit. So we read it and we say, well, of course it's Jesus' words. But Paul wants us to know he did not, this isn't 
Paul's words from the Holy Spirit. This is from the mouth of Jesus himself. And what he says, what Jesus says to us through Paul, is that death is not a disadvantage to meeting Jesus when he comes back. Because that was the concern of the folks in Thessalonica. Well, they're dead. That's, they're done. They're not going to get to see Jesus. And, and they, they had some idea, probably, of a resurrection, but they, they're just kind of scratching their heads and wondering, but how does that work if they're dead? We, okay, Jesus is going to come back because he's going to come back when we're alive, right? They just kind of intuited that, even though they were wrong. So that, that, that makes sense, but these folks are going to miss out on the party. I mean, they're, they're to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Got it, Paul, but what? But it was just, we've heard this so many times that I think we struggle to, to put ourselves in their position, to, to, to understand how they could be so confused. Most of us didn't come from a pagan religion and had only been believers for, have, have only been from believers from that pagan religion for only a few months. But that's where these people are. They had their ideas of the afterlife, if there was one at all. And this whole body thing, especially in Greek thought, the body and the soul are so separate that you want to get rid of the body. So what's going to happen, Paul? Death's going to mess it up. And Paul says, death ain't going to mess nothing up. I'm I'm telling you about the guy that defeated death. What can death do now? Death has no power. Death has no sting. And so he uses this language. Jesus uses this language when he's telling Paul from two different places in the Old Testament. And the Thessalonians might not have understood what he was doing, but Paul certainly did. Paul tells them that... uh, quoting or, or referencing, echoing passages from Exodus where it, it talks about God, I think it's Exodus 19, God descending to Zion, to Mount Zion. And then he uses phrasing from a psalm that is the coming king's ascent to Zion. So he, he uses these two passages, one of God, one of the king, you hear the, 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 the message there that God comes as the king into Zion. He descends to earth, ascends to the throne in Zion. And he uses this language in verse 16 when he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice with the trumpet of God. Those last two phrases are ones from the psalm that talks about this, this fanfare, a royal fanfare as the king ascends to his throne. God will come and take his rightful throne. Jesus, the Messiah, will come and take his rightful throne. The, the way this is written in the Greek... It's probably not three different things happening. A command, an archangel, and a trumpet. Or some, our scripture says shout this morning, but it's command, an archangel's voice, and the trumpet. The, the way it's written in the Greek, Greek is probably a command, which are the angel's voices and the trumpet. 
And those things may have actually been one thing. So that all this, we're not expecting a boom, 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 a command, a shout. You know, it's just all at one time. It's this royal entry. Like you wouldn't, you, you, maybe in, in, when a king enters, and I'm thinking of all the movies we've watched over the years, you know, the, His Royal Highness, blah, 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 blah. And then the band starts playing. And maybe, maybe there's sort of that kind of thing. But it's going to be probably, according to what Paul's saying here, boom, there he is. And we're going to hear the, and the hear and the wow and the see and all at the same time. Or maybe we don't. Because Paul's not making a point about what's going to happen in what order. Remember, Paul's point here is hope. Paul's hope here is joy. The king is going to come back. And all these dead people, they're not going to be dead anymore. And you, if you're alive, you, whoop, you go up with them. Celebrate that. And, and this, this, this phrase that Paul uses here. Then we who are still alive, so the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up. Let's not get wrapped up on the order there. Again, his point is that the dead are going to come up, and God's not going to forget them. Jesus is not going to be, oh man, I forgot the dead ones. No, the dead will rise, and then we, and we'll, you know, you know they, they got a little further to go, right? They're under the ground. So they got to come up first, and then we, then they catch up like an elevator. You know, we're on the second floor, they're in the basement. So they start on their elevator, and then we hop on with them. Okay, that just let's, let's, let's not make too much out of this and miss the joy. Because he says, Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. Together with them. Who's the them? Well, first, the them is the dead people. The them are those that we have buried. Loved ones that some of us have been without for a long time. And the grief still hurts. You know, I think of... When you've been in the ministry a long time, you bury a lot of family members, even if they're not related to you, Okay. But I, I think about, uh, there, there have been times, most recently, gosh, I guess it when it was the convention was in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, which would have been, I guess you all know where Phoenix is. There's a, I think there's a Phoenix City, Alabama, but anyway. Um, I think that's when it was, or it may, be, it may have been one of our trips to, to Durango. I'm not real sure. Anyway, we were driving down through... Arizona, Albuquerque, that's New Mexico, Albuquerque, um, and this would have been three or four years ago, and, and that trip, you got to go back a little further, my, my, my grandparents on my mama's side, they vacationed out west, in my memory, maybe they didn't go as often as I think they did, as a matter of fact, my mother and I got together one night, and we were talking about all the vacations that we had been on. When, when I was a kid. And in my mind, we had gone every summer to all these other places. And when we started doing, like, going through, there were only like five or six vacations that we had done. But in my memory as a child, those are such big events in my head 
that they, that we, we went a hundred times to these places. Okay, so I don't know how many times my grandparents went out west. I know in my, my, head, my head they did a lot. They brought rocks. They always brought the, the geodes and, 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 and the crystals and all. I still have a lot of those, those rocks they would bring back from the trip. So traveling out west in Albuquerque, that's west for me, just driving down the interstate, I started crying. Edda's looking at me like I'm nuts because this was even before I cried more. You know, I cry more now than I used to because whatever. Um, and and, and I, I, just, I was just thinking about how Nana and Big Dad went out west so much. And it was just that grief was still there, right? And that had been years, years. At that point, it had been nearly 20 years 15, 16, 17 years since, since they had died. That, that grief is still there. So that, that together with them that he talks about, we're going to be together with them. But, but I think there's more to the them. Because remember who showed up, who, who came, Jesus. And then, and then the, the, the elevator comes up from the basement, and we hop on at the second floor, and we are together with them, with all of them. That image to me, I don't care when it is, I don't care if there's the, the command and an angel shouts and a trumpet or if it's all at once, I don't know about the, the tribulations and millennium and, and all that. The, that stuff doesn't matter. And it didn't matter to Paul. What Paul wants us to know is one day, all the ones you have missed, all the grief you have felt, all those times driving down the interstate, you just started crying for no reason because you happened to be in a place that your grandparents might have seen that one time. They went out there too. All that gets washed away because one day we're together with them. That is the image he wants us to have. And then the next phrase is actually even better. Together with them, how does it put it? Some translations, well, yeah. In English, a lot of our translations say, to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord. An infinitive verb. As a matter of fact, that's not a verb. It's a noun. It's the meeting. It's like we call the meeting. Meeting's not a verb there, it's a thing. It's a noun. The better way to translate this, and I think in a more beautiful way, is... The meeting of the Lord. How many of y'all like committee meetings? Yeah. How many of you like the meeting with the principal? The meeting with the guidance counselor? The meeting with your boss? We generally don't like the meetings. And yet Paul says here, after all of this, after the shout and the trumpet and all this stuff and, and, and the, the, the elevator comes up from the basement and we get on the second floor and we're caught up together with them, our loved ones, they're there, we're rejoicing in that, we're all together. But what then is the best part is the meeting, the meeting of the Lord. We get to see Jesus. 
And I don't know at what point we realize what's going on. Again, this is, these are boom, boom, boom things. Is it all at one time? Are we sitting there going, well, that, did y'all hear that trumpet? You know, I don't think there's going to be that sort of thing. And you know, Some of us, we ain't going to hear nothing because we don't hear nothing now. But what we will know, I don't even know if we know when we get on the elevator. I don't know if we see it coming up from the basement. I don't know if we... But what we will know is the meeting. The best meeting we have ever been a part of. The meeting of the Lord in the air. And when we have met... When we have come together, number five, our eternity is secured. Our eternity is secured. Now, Paul doesn't tell us what eternity looks like. He doesn't talk about mansions here. He doesn't talk about any of this stuff. He, it, it doesn't matter. Y'all, can I say it doesn't matter? Revelation gives us a lot of pictures. And maybe we are supposed to take those pictures literally, and maybe not. It doesn't matter. Because all we are going to care about is our eternity with the Lord. That's all we're going to be concerned about. Our, our crowns and gifts and, and, and good gifts and trees of life and flow, rivers of flow, uh, living all the Great, let me see Jesus. Let me see my Savior. That's all we're going to care about. And that's all Paul cared about. Simply Jesus. And so we will always be with the Lord. Forever. All that grief. All that hurting. The loss and the longing and the pain. We will be together with them at the meeting of the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Our eternity is secured. And number six, the whole reason he wrote this, encouragement is needed. So encourage, therefore encourage. The only imperative in this section, as a matter of fact, This is the first imperative in Thessalonians. There has not been a do this in the whole letter so far. This is the first one. Encourage one another. It's a command. Encourage one another. It's a struggle for pastors, and it's a struggle for all of us, but especially for pastors because we tend to sit by the side of, of folks who have lost a loved one. And we don't want to be trite. We don't want to throw out Bible verses. Most people, especially believers who have grown up in church, they know those things. They, they don't, I don't have to tell them. So we, we, we want to be careful, and I, I tend to say less rather than more. Uh, just I, I wait until what it seems like is needed to be said. But it's never trite to be reminded of the hope we have in Jesus. Paul says 
gives the command, encourage one another with these words. That word also can actually be translated appeal. You know, almost beg one another with these words. What, what does that mean? Well, his purpose isn't, again, isn't to explain what's going to happen at the end when Jesus comes back. His purpose is to say Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to get you. His, his purpose is to appeal to those mourning. I, I appeal to you. I'm, I'm begging you to understand in the midst of this very necessary and expected grief that one day there's going to be a meeting that you're going to get to attend and all of this will be over. You have, believer, because your loved one has died in Christ. If your loved one has died in Christ, you have a certain hope. You will see that loved one again. You've probably all seen the the videos of the, the, the soldier dad coming home. Uh, they're all over the internet. If you want a good cry, just Google them. It, it's, 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 the, um, it's their MO to, to usually do it in some other, in some part of a, as part of another celebration. It's Christmas or a birthday, and he's hiding in a box. It's graduation and he's the one that hands the diploma to the uh to his son or daughter and they weren't expecting it 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 it's let's look on this day that day we fly away as that it's gonna be a great day our loved ones, Paul says, they're going to be raised with us. We're looking forward to that day, to, to seeing all of our loved ones once again. It's going to happen, he says. It's going to be a party. But then, out of the box, then with the diploma, the one that we've really, really wanted to see, the meeting we have been waiting for, Encourage one another with this hope. We get to see Jesus. In Christ. What does that mean? That means you don't have that hope if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That means that your loved ones, should you die, your loved ones don't have that hope. It's a difficult funeral to stand over a casket and read this verse. I do, because I want the people that are there to realize they can have this hope about themselves. Even if they don't about this person. You don't have this hope if we don't die in Christ. So that means it's a, a burden on your loved ones. If you've never trusted Christ and you were to die today... Can they stand over your grave and say, one day, the elevator's going to start right here, and I'm going to get on a couple of floors up, and we're on our way? Or do they, will they stand over your grave and say, 
only he'd had another day. Maybe, maybe he would have come to Christ. Today's your day. You don't need to put that off because we don't know. Notice Paul ain't talking about times here. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when all that's going to happen. So you aren't guaranteed anything except that that's going to happen. We do not want you to be uninformed. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? You can be. Recognize you are a sinner. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of those sins, of that sin, is death. Right? We're going to die. You're going to die. It's a result of our sin. The question is, will you die merely physically one day to be raised with Christ? Or will you die physically and then one day that death will be completed when you are separated for eternity from God? The wages of sin is death. You're going to die. But the gift of God is eternal life. We can know that, verse 17, we will always be with the Lord. That is an offer to us. That is an option for our eternity. But it is not a guarantee simply because you exist. There's a decision that you have to make. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus. You have to make the decision to admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died, uh, was buried, and rose again. Lived a perfect life. And on that cross takes our sin, takes death, and in that resurrection defeats it. And then you can be saved. And if you die in Christ, and your loved one dies in Christ... You will see them at that meeting in the air. You can do that today. You can trust Jesus as your Savior right where you're sitting. No fancy prayer needed. No action on your part. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. But you can do it right now. There's nothing holding you back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise for that meeting. We, we will see our loved ones, but... I think very quickly our attention is going to be off of them and on to the meeting in the air where we get to see you, the meeting with you, Lord. God, I pray for those listening this morning who don't have that promise of the meeting. They don't have the hope when they die or when a loved one dies that they will get to see that person again someday. God, we can have that hope, that confident expectation in Jesus Christ. And I pray today is their day of salvation. They will trust Jesus, repent of their sins, give their lives to him, and follow him. Become a follower of Jesus today. God, may we encourage each other with these words. Not as a trite cliche that we throw out. But, Lord, is that confident expectation, knowing the hope of the resurrection and an eternity with you, along with all those who have died in Christ. 
God made that message today springboard us into the message next week of why we can have that hope, why we celebrate this week, cross on Friday, but the resurrection on Sunday. He is risen. And if we believe he is risen, we will rise too. Thank you for the promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you have a next step to take. Maybe it is to accept salvation uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and baptism. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ in some way. There's something that you've been struggling with. You need to give that up today. Maybe you've been called to something and you need to submit to that today. Maybe you'd like to join our church, be a part of this family of faith and go through our discovery class and learn more about us. Whatever your decision is today, you can come and talk to uh, me. I'll be up here on the right. Amy will be over here on the left. Some of our men will be in the back. Lee is in the back. If you'd like to pray with one of us or talk to us about something, that'd be great. Maybe you want to share it on a connection card or online. Share your decision with us. Let us know how we can pray for you, what God is doing in your heart. Maybe you, this morning, need to come up here and give something to the Lord. I've told you before, there's nothing magical about these steps and this carpet and this wood. As you know, hurricane will mess it up real quick. But there is something about moving physically, relocating and bowing, humbling yourself before God when you've got something to talk to him about. So maybe that's what you want to do during this song. Let's stand. Let's sing. God wants to do business with us. Let's let him do that business this morning.